Good. I'd like to ask for your attention. This is a, not a guided meditation, so I appreciate your eyes open and uh, listening as you would listen when you listen. Yeah. Um, meditation is a kind of relationship. I think the paradigm of a relationship is a useful one for entering into practice. Um, sometimes it sounds like meditation is a, a different type of doing, and it's kind of, uh, it's not very effective, and it's kind of impolite, you know, when you, when you meet people, you, you shake hands, you say hello, you find out how they're doing, and this holds true for your own mind as well. So, um, it's necessary that we find out what is actually already happening in our minds, rather than try to impose another duty or an, another list of se set, sets of activities which need to be performed, preferably at our, uh, our beck and call and with standards we impose, uh, we actually find out what's already happening. You know, these minds are already at work. They have a life of their own. And our meditation practice is unlikely to be very uh, effective uh, if we are not willing to take into acknowledgement what actually already happens, what this mind is already doing, how much energy there is, how it is feeling, uh, what is predominant, what it is preoccupied with. So we need to shake hands basically with our mind. We need to inquire. We need to go to a place where we ask a few polite, gentle and respectful questions, you know, magical questions. Well, what's happening? How does it feel? Can I be in relationship with it? Can I stay in relationship with it? Yeah. Now this is the quality of mind we look to engender when we begin, when we enter, when we open that little door and we, we enter into our internal space, introspective, contemplative space. We find out what's already happening there. And we engage in a polite, inquiring, resonant relationship. We don't go in there and give orders. I mean, you can, obviously, and you know, you know who hasn't been there. Um, generally, my mind doesn't like that. It balks at this kind of behavior, you know. It's either going sulky or it goes rebellious or it's sort of a grumbly, diffident obedience or something like that. But generally that's not what I really wish for this mind to produce when it's supposed to become still and supposed to become bright and supposed to become transparent. So I don't want to have it, I don't want to have a grumbly, diffident downtrodden or rebellious mind. This is not really the basis for samatha practice, for example. So I'd like to encourage you just to, you've all come out of a busy life, I would expect. You've landed here, you have a schedule in ahead of you quite different from what I, I, I would assume your life looks like. And that means some things will, will be happening in your mind. You know? And the more you can be in resonance with what is happening, resonance doesn't mean taking sides. 
It doesn't mean believing or it doesn't mean identifying with. It means taking note of what's happening and say kind of nod. Yeah? Not nod because you're right, but, but the sort of nod because I know, I understand what you say. Yeah? This is a different sort of, yes. Bodhisattva of compassion, of Lakiteshvara, he who listens to the sound of the world, doesn't believe all the sounds of the world, but he listens, or she listens. So this is the kind of attitude we, we, we would like to engender here, because um, if the attitude isn't really there, it is very unlikely that whatever we add in terms of technique, in terms of specificity and instruction, is likely to make much of a dent. We need to establish a relationship before we can work. So I'd like you to make a commitment that you're going to stay your friend in this process. You're going to stay your friend, whatever that mind presents. You're going to be a trusting, a sober, a caring friend to your own mind. You're not going to beat it. You're not going to force it. You're not going to succumb to it. You're not going to cater to its whims. But you're going to be a friend there, a good friend that knows you in good and bad moments and that knows how to relate to the best in you. This kind of friend. So please take that as the backdrop of everything you do. Every exercise we're going to speak of in the coming days, every time you sit down, you affirm your friendship. You make a friend of your mind. That doesn't mean that you take sides with the contents of your mind, or that you believe your opinions, or you believe your moods, or you enact your uh, current uh, goings-on. But you are going to identify with the patient rather than with the illness. Okay, does that make sense? Your commitment, your concern is to the intrinsic health of the patient, however sick the patient may look, however unhappy he is, however moaning, coping, engrossed the patient is, you are going to affirm your friendly commitment to the intrinsic health of that patient. With this tradition here, is, uh, we're in a house called an Insight Meditation Society. There is a definite bias towards insight, I think, in, in this uh, realm. Um, I would discourage you trying to make insights straight away. I would discourage trying to sit here and do vipassana, frankly. I think this is not a very effective way of engaging with one's mind. It's necessary to find out what's happening, as I said, and then to emphasize attentional focus on the corporeal aspect of your experience. What does it feel like? How much of me is being present in my um, awareness right now? My somatic, my embodied, my felt reality. What does it feel like? And trying to sustain attentional awareness in that domain. Just being with. Think of sitting beside yourself on a bench. 
Yeah? So you go and sit with somebody on a bench. Just sit beside them and feel how it feels to be on that bench with them. Huh? Share the reality of the embodied world that this body now in constellates when it's sitting here. Obviously, there are a few alternatives. I could follow my thoughts. I could produce the thoughts. I could remember thoughts. Um, I could um, play with my uh, the zoom of my attentional focus. I could try to get, get into my nose somewhere, or I could uh, see universal characteristics with everything that arises and ceases incessantly. But that's not really what I'd suggest. I'd suggest landing, centering, earthing, befriending, arriving, embodying. Sometimes, early on in a retreat, we struggle with the difference in speed of what's happening now and what has happened just before. Most of what people get in meditation retreats is not the fruit of their meditative technique. It's the fruit of their life. It's things catch up from our lives. So be prepared that the things that you have to deal with today are probably more concerned not with the place and not with the technique and not even with us three here, but basically with what you come out of. The kinetic energy that moves through you. And while you sit still, you make an offer that things are allowed to catch up with you in your life. Things you generally may not have that time for in your life. So these things will catch up. That may be fatigue, that may be restlessness, that may be the themes of the things that you're preoccupied with in your life. Um, So be patient with that and yet be sober. All these things can be handled a lot better if we are actually quite sober in acknowledging. This is restlessness, this is fatigue, this is wanting to do something, this is just exhaustion, or this is just, you know, dissociative thoughts or a thousand themes that go on. So whatever your world is, and if your mind is beautifully still and you just close your eyes and you go into deep uh, jhanic experiences, wonderful. I, you know, we don't want to exclude that. Um, but it's necessarily that you establish a relationship to how you are, not how you think you should be or how you uh, ought to be or how it was last time or how you've always hoped it would be like but how it is that's where the test is that's where we really are challenged can we be when we are not as we dot 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 yeah can we be with us can we be friends with us when we're not good when we're too late, when we're angry, sleepy, grumpy, uh, besotted by something, can we still be friends? Not because we agree with what's taking place. The content of our experience is not something we agree to or we condone. But can we we be friends with the process, with the patient in my uh, little image? So be realistic. Be receptive. Let the body speak. Make an emphasis that you ground your attentional focus on somatic experiences. Somatic experiences are felt. 
They have to do with primary things like touch, contact, pressure, weight, warmth, um, the earth element, expansion, yeah. everything that is solid, things that resist, that give structure. So these are things that we often don't attend to very easily. And one of the challenges for mindfulness to go from <clears throat> the area where we spend most of our time with, which is content of experience, to actual quality of experience in the body, is we not just need to look at a different place, we also need to calibrate sort of the mesh of our mindfulness. If our mindfulness is geared to coping with thought, then the mindfulness is geared to look for things that are fast, flitting, uh, chiseled, uh, self-declarative, that means they say what they are about. And if you go with that kind of mindset into body awareness, you know, body sensations just don't do this sort of thing. They're not fast, most of them. They're not very chiseled. Um, they're kind of slow, diffuse, amorphous, meandering things for most of the time. So we need to widen the mesh of our mindfulness. We not just need, we don't just need to look in a different corner than if we play with thoughts and concepts and uh, conception, but we also need to widen the mesh of our awareness for a different kind of material to work with. So it needs generally widening, slowing down, uh, being less focused on edges, corner um, structure, but more on texture and space, space qualities. Yeah. So ask your body, start with topical sensations which are easy to find. Usually weight and pressure are the most reliable of our physical sensations. No physical sensations are really reliable. <coughs> I mean, nothing is really reliable, to be honest with you, but physical sensations are probably more reliable than most other things, but even physical sensations aren't really that reliable, as you know. Uh, what you do usually is just what becomes normal. Yeah, People can have all kinds of postural kinks, and after a while that becomes normal. So you can't trust that sense of normalcy. But the experience of weight is often a very safe and, uh, you know, time-tested way into your em embodied quality. So where does the weight go right now? Which parts of the body do carry the weight? And then, since our senses operate by contrast, we make use of this distinction in left and right, for example. We can actually ask ourselves, you know, do my left and my right side carry the same amount of weight? And we just acknowledge that this body weighs quite a bit. Yeah? And where this weight goes, which parts do the work, which parts do the holding. So from a topical sensation, we widen, we kind of try to envelop that sensation. We widen the field of awareness. Once we have the topical sensation, a knee, a buttock, a pressure on my foot, um, we try to make the space bigger in which this experience of sensation is held. 
So we try to get more of the foot, more of the knee, more of the buttock. And gradually we breathe with every breath, we breathe some bodily awareness into our posture. We identify primary sensations. Again, weight, extension, contact, pressure, different textures in the body. Things that are more hard, that are more uh, concrete in a way, and things that are softer, things that are more malleable. Then rhythms, heart as a rhythm, breath, as a rhythm. Maybe you're very gifted and you're feeling the long tide of your spinal fluid or something. Wonderful. Um, if not, stick with the belly and its movement. Stick with the rib cage and its movement. Just acknowledge how it feels to be a breathing, sitting being here. And see whether it is possible to sustain awareness on this experience of embodied sitting here. Yeah. Do that for at least a few minutes every session. If you think this is easy, do it. If you think it is not easy, keep doing it. And then after a while, you look for your breath. Or more precisely, you look for the sensations connected with your breathing movement. Traditionally, <coughs> they're the belly, the chest, the nose. Yeah. The Buddha didn't say anything about it, actually. And whenever the Buddha doesn't say anything, the commentaries usually have lots of opinions, what is correct. So <clears throat> Buddhist traditions abound with strong opinions, whether you should be at your nose or at your belly. Um, both work. <clears throat> Neither of them is really the Buddha's recommendation. And <clears throat> both have their drawbacks. So find out what it is, what it is for you, where it is most easy to attend to the sensations of your body breathing. Find out about this. The Satipatthana suttas or the Satipatthana teachings encourage us quite clearly to establish a relationship with what is, not with what should be. So make use of these little suggestions and um, become your friend. Become acquainted with your bodily condition, not as you remember it, not as it was on the last retreat, not as it is usually, but as it is now. Every time you sit down, you shed what you know of yourself and you find out anew. This is the kind of beginner's mind, the, the craft of starting empty-handed. Good. Let us practice. <clears throat>